Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes. And once again, sitting next to me is my very handsome husband, Scott. Thank you, and hello. <laughs> we are really excited to, to introduce you to our special guest, Lacey Elena Bentley. She is the founder and president of Women United Recovering Coalition. She was also a life coach and and a public speaker on the harmful effects of pornography addiction, unhealthy relationship dynamics, and overcoming perfectionism. She is an avid writer, a guest blogger, recovering hentai. I'm not sure I know what that is. You'll have to explain that to us. And she's a self-proclaimed, oh, overcoming self-proclaimed perfectionist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk about that because I think too many of us try to live a life of perfection. Lacey seeks to empower women to stand up and be counted in the war on harmful messages. All forms of sexualized media and unrealistic expectations send to the rising generation. She also has multiple rare and chronic illnesses she combats daily. You wouldn't know that by looking at her because she embraces the imperfection of life with joy and contentment that many physically healthy individuals have yet to master. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome Lacey. Hi, Scott and Becky. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We are so excited to have you on our show and 22 minutes is not going to be long enough. Yes, I want to make sure I cover what exactly hentai is. So... Growing up, it was an imperfect life, to say the least. Dad left when I was three, never really came back. Mom really struggled with, a, with mental illness and some, her own health issues, many of which I inherited with some extras I got. It was rough. And I learned to self-medicate through different behaviors, different perfectionistic behaviors, obsessive behaviors, including anorexia. And then in high school... I actually was introduced to anime. We used to call it Japanimation back then. This was in the 90s, so I'm dating myself a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> and started out with what was called bubblegum, um, which is just kind of a fun, flirty, you know, adolescent, teen kind of anime. And it moved into hentai, which is actually sexualized Japanimation. And hentai is still around, hasn't gone anywhere. In fact, it's gotten bigger. There are now like whole, whole online communities so I started just watching anime with friends. Actually, my mom and her friends would bring it into the home. Her, so it was really confusing for me. And in order to fit in, I felt like I had to participate. And then it got to be to where it was all I could think about. And it was all I wanted to watch. And I recognized about 17 that that was becoming problematic for me. And some of it started to really freak me out. The messages in hentai are highly sexualized. The word hentai actually means pervert in Japanese. It's a, the stories are a lot of older men seducing younger women or younger women seducing older men kind of thing. There's a lot of seduction, um, whether it's age but appropriate. It's, it's all animated. It's all animated. Yeah, it's a cartoon, and it's super flirty. It's super like seductive, like I said, and the characters are exaggerated. The genitalia is exaggerated. Their coquettishness. We've got eight and ten year old little girls who have the bodies of grown women. 
and the behaviors of some of the worst of pornographic images that we see and fight in our culture today and the messages that that's sharing. Those messages exist inside of hentai and anime today. So I actually realized about 17 that it was causing issues for me in my relationships. I didn't have the language then to call it addiction. I didn't have the language then to recognize it was causing a lot of disconnection and I was objectifying myself. But I knew like I was going to church and people at church weren't impressed with my prom dress to say the least. And that's kind of when I went, okay, maybe this is influencing me too much. And that's when my anorexia, I stopped with the hentai, but my anorexia shot through the roof. And actually a few years later when I was 21 ended up because of my anorexia, I was living on two prenatal vitamins and a Hershey's bar a day and lost our baby. That was devastating for me. My adorable little 18 month old came in and brought his little bunny and laid down next to me to take a nap. And I realized I had something to live for and I needed to gain control of this beast. I needed to learn to manage it. And that's what started. That was late 1999 and 2000 is what started me on my path working the 12 steps. And I have been working 12 steps and working with women in self-destructive and compulsive behaviors ever since. Oh, that's amazing. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering about the animation. What, what, is, is there a lot of people who are more into animation than like real actors? It's really popular with teens and adolescents right now, even here in Utah, everywhere. It's, it's something that's been up and coming for quite a while. Like I said, you know, early 90s is when I started with it, and it has certainly not become less of an issue. But does it give them a false um, sense that it's not pornographic because it's not real people? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's not a big deal because, you know, it's not people. It's just cartoons. Right. That's what I'm getting at, trying to figure out what the distinction is between the two. That was absolutely my justification Mm -hmm. and why it actually has taken me all this time to go, wait a second. That was actually porn I was hooked on. It just happened to be crayons instead of photographs, you know. And I've talked to young adults who have uh, mostly the, the guys, it seems to be, that are the ones that are, you know, addicted to the pornography or, or stuck in that rut. And, and every once in a while I'll come across, uh, you know, a younger lady that will be op- open enough to explain what she's going through. And it's more fantasy that they deal with than the, than the actual porn that guys are drawn to. Uh, is that kind of something you've noticed or seen the, to be a... I don't know, a trend? Yeah, it is actually. And the thing about the anime is it is fantasy. And a lot of women are more into like the fan fiction. That's why Twilight was so big. That's why Fifty Shades of Grey is so huge and popular is because it's more fantasy. It's more relationship-based. It's more um, more mysterious. There's less of the in-your-face exploitation and abuse. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't say that about Fifty Shades, but... Yeah, we like to lull ourselves into thinking that it's not really that bad because of whatever reason, because it's only in my head, because it's only in a book, because I'm only reading it on a website. And those are justifications a lot of the women I've worked with have offered that, well, I just didn't realize that it could be causing a problem. You know, I was talking to one woman um, on one day and she was devastated at her husband's pornography addiction that he he had been using again behind her back. And yet she was watching... And reading all of this fan fiction and 
you know, I asked her, well, you know, what about this? Do you realize that this is the same thing? She's like, no, no, it's not the same thing. I'm not like looking at people. I'm just reading stuff. Yeah. But are you then taking that to your bedroom and fantasizing when you're with your husband? Are you, is that playing over in your mind when you're in the grocery store? You know, and so those are the kinds of questions that women need to be asking themselves. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that you're open enough to talk about this because uh, it's something that's always hidden. You know, you said, you know, she she said, well, my husband, I found out this, he was doing this behind my back. Well, of course, he's not going to be open about it. Most of the, most of the time, they're not. Right. So I appreciate the fact that you are willing to openly talk about these things. In your bio, I mentioned that you are a self-proclaimed perfectionist. How do you see perfectionism contributing to a, to addiction or compulsive behaviors? In so many ways. First off, I feel like when there are our own perfectionistic tendencies or ideals or expectations, or whether there's someone else's, it makes it really hard to relax. It makes it really hard to have slips and still be human. So for example, women will come in and they want to work on recovery and they have a slip. They, they go into fantasy or they see a guy on the street and think about what it would be like to kiss him. Or, you know, these things happen that in, in Christian faith, we call them temptation, right? It's not about a thought coming into your mind though. And for a perfectionist, that's not true. For a perfectionist, if the thought comes into their mind, then they have sinned. If the thought comes into their mind, they have relapsed or slipped or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's about combating that belief that any little minor infraction is all or nothing, that it's black and white. I'm either in recovery or I'm relapsing. There's no progression. There's no building up of the muscles of recovery. I like to talk a lot about how in recovery, we have to build our muscles as with anything else. And they start out small and weak and we're sore and it's hard and we're discouraged and we don't want to go to the gym that day. And yet recovery is the same way. You can't just all of a sudden bench press, you know, 200 pounds. You've got to build up to it. It's the exact same with recovery. But when you're dealing with perfectionism, that is so hard to swallow. So how does a person know that they're addicted? Um, There are long and short answers to that. The short answer, if something is continually coming up to your mind, even when you don't want it, it's coming into your mind, you're thinking about it. You can't have a conversation with someone, an intimate conversation. And I'm not talking sexually intimate. I'm talking about, you know, just we're hanging out here and we're talking about important things and and connecting and building a relationship, building friendships, being unable to do that because you'd rather be doing or thinking about or fantasizing about something else. That's when you know you're getting into compulsive behaviors. Tell me more about the the Women United Recovery Coalition that you founded. So last May, my dear friend Brianne Vandegraaff and I decided we wanted to do something to bring awareness to these things. She's an amazing woman who's got her own story, which varies a great deal from mine. And we just decided that we combine our two stories and we've got a really great powerful message we can bring. So at Women United, our focus is to bring education and awareness to and about female pornography exposure, usage, and addiction. And the fact that treatment and recovery for women needs to look a little bit different. I mean, we want to pretend there aren't different sexes, and there are. Men and women recover differently. Men and women get addicted differently to different things for different reasons. They're covering up different pain. 
And the subsequent results of that addiction can be different for men and women. You know, we talk about men and rape culture. Well, the thing is, is women who are using these materials are inadvertently contributing to rape culture as well because they're not realizing that by objectifying themselves in the way they dress and the way they act in their coquettish behaviors, their flirting, that they are actually also contributing. Now, I would never, ever say that it is ever a woman's fault for being raped. Right. Ever. Like, I think women should be allowed to walk down the street naked wherever they want and assume that they will not be touched or catcalled or anything. What I'm saying is... If women don't realize that the way men are expecting them to behave, it could actually be harmful to them. If these young girls and teens who are so hooked on anime don't realize that it is never okay for a teacher to make advances at them. If they don't learn that it's, it's absolutely okay for them to say, no, I don't want to do that, which is not what they're being taught in pornography and anime. They don't learn those things. They won't know that they have that power to fight back, to push back. And then if something happens to them, to report it, to say that wasn't okay. You don't get to do that to me. Just because it's in a film doesn't mean it's okay. The trouble that Brianna and I see is women and girls aren't being taught that their bodies are 100% their bodies. And that they absolutely do not have to exploit themselves in any way for love, affection, attention. And And it's okay to say no. Right. Not only no, but hell no. And it'd be yeah. bold. Be so, bold. Right. And say this is not going to happen. Yeah. Right. But we touched on a little bit the differences between male and female and, and the addiction to pornography or, or the anime or whatever. It's so, it's so different. The, the females are so much more drawn on emotion than, yeah. than what the guys are. Or do you not agree with that? I think that that was definitely true in the past. I know that that was true for me. For me, it was about the flirting and, okay, learning how to be wanted and loved. You know, there wasn't a lot of love at home. And so for me, my currency was getting a guy to flirt back with me. Mm -hmm. And where did I learn how? Through my anime. Where did I learn how to behave, how to dress, how to flirt? It was all there. Each, each individual is, is addicted differently. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that they're, they look at different things. You know, the guys are looking at hard porn and, and girls are looking at fantasy. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think it has definitely been true in the past. What we're seeing now is a shift, though. We are seeing women and teenage girls being pulled to the more hardcore stuff faster and without all of the relational buildup and the emotional connection. Like, that's a really poor definition of connection. Really sad. However, what we are also seeing now is that with the highly sexualized media, you know, what we see at the grocery store standing, you know, do you want a Hershey's bar or a borderline porn magazine? You know, take your pick. It's really hard with the amount of sexualization for girls to measure up. And a lot of youth are going to pornography for education now because parents aren't talking to them. Mm-hmm. They don't know how. They're scared. They, they're like, no, if I talk about it, my kid's going to think gonna about it. Yeah. Right. What we need to realize now is that I believe, and there are other experts in the field on pornography usage and exploitation who have come to see that women's sexuality is actually changing as well. Women are being pulled in harder and faster And that it's not as much one or the other now. In fact, I did some research last year and we found that men were using internet pornography 
women were using internet pornography and fantasy-based pornography. Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. it's not either or anymore. It's for women, it's and. Women are right. using more types of pornography than men at about the same rates when they are self-identifying as addicted. One thing that was important in the research we just did, we had over 430 participants. Only 7% of women and 10% of men intentionally went looking for pornography. Now, this was our generation, Scott right, and Becky. Right. This, was, this was Gen X and baby boomers, right? So it's old data, um, even though we just collected it. What's important to realize, though, was that most of the kids in our generation were exposed accidentally. And that's even when we had to look under a bed or, you know, right? right. Find it in grandpa's right. bathroom or whatever. <laughs> now it's right out their fingertips. And that's why organizations like NACOSI, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, are fighting so hard to make pornography inaccessible by accident. Because most kids are exposed accidentally, but then they are getting hooked. And so now, um, what do we do? Things like that need to be brought up in the home. So we, can, we feel like we can talk about it to our kids and, and tell them the dangers and the, and the problems that you can have because of it. So how do we do it? What, what, what's your, what, what are you doing with your organization? Okay, so what we're doing at Women United is we're talking. We're having the conversations. In fact, my little 12-year-old last night, it was so funny because I... I co-instruct Psychology of Sex and Gender at UVU. Mm -hmm. And he said, whatever you teach that day, then we talk about it at the dinner table. You know? (laughs) And he, he, it was, I was like, yes, we do. We talk about it. That's your goal. We're comfortable with it. I have friends who've been addicted to porn. I have friends who have had alcohol addiction, heroin addiction. Um, I have friends, I don't want to call call these things addiction, but I have friends who are transgender. I have friends who are gay. I have friends who are non-binary. And I talk about that. I tell stories about those friends too. And we just make it really comfortable for our kids. Now, should we talk about it at every dinner table? No, because then they really are going to be thinking about it all the time. But it's important our kids know that there is no conversation that's off limits. Because if they know any conversation can be had at the dinner table or privately in mom or dad's room, or let's go and get some ice cream. For some kids, it's really hard to talk about this stuff. Okay, let's be honest. For some parents, it's really freaky to talk Mm -hmm. about this stuff. So, you know, take a drive, buy some ice cream. We like to go for frozen yogurt and talk about it while you sit in the car. Talk about it while you're driving. Take that pressure off of the eye contact. You know, just let it relax a little bit. And practice in front of the mirror saying these things so that you're not freaked out when you say the word masturbate or sex. I mean, we have to be okay with saying these things because if we're not, our kids will pick up that shame and it will send the messages much louder than anything we can say afterwards. I had a funny incident happen a couple of days ago. We were up in the mountains uh, camping. You know how guys are where they have to go to the bathroom. It's wherever they happen to be standing, right? Right, super and so, easy. Yeah. <laughs> and my little grandson was with me. And my son, and he says, yeah, go, he says, just run up there on the hill. So he went up on the hill to go to the bathroom, uh, just number one. And he's standing there, and, and I um, went up the hill to go look over this ridge. And I walked by him probably 10 feet away. And, and he's facing the other direction, but he looks over his shoulder, and, and he says, oh, Grandpa. You know, and then he says, Dad, is it okay for Grandpas to see private parts? This kid's six years old. And that was the first thing he did was wanted to get clarification from his father on if that was okay to have somebody see you go into the bathroom on the mountainside. (laughs) 
sometimes as parents, we we just know and trust the the uncles and aunts and grandparents. And there's so many times that there's things going on that we don't know about that are um, molestations or whatever with with kids and and family members. And so we, I don't know, it's it's tough. I'm glad that he knew the difference between accidental or somebody that's trying to cross lines that he didn't feel comfortable about. Yeah, a predator. Well, and it's like a conversation we've had previously, Scott, where you had mentioned, you know, sometimes we tell our kids, oh, go give grandpa a kiss, give grandma a kiss. And the kid's like, no, I don't want to. And then we want to force that. Our grandparents, but don't you love me? Don't you care about me? Oh, grandma's so sad if you don't kiss me. And I had a friend who was telling me a story about this. And she finally said to her mom, who always wanted her daughters to kiss her on the lips before they left, she said, so mom, do you want me to teach my daughters that when someone wants a kiss, they should give it to them so they don't hurt their feelings? Is that the message you want me to send to my little girls? Mm-hmm. And her mom went, thought, went, oh, no. Mm-hmm. So from that moment forward, it was, can grandma give you a kiss on the cheek? Mm-hmm. You know, can grandma give you a hug? Because it is imperative we teach our kids that they get to have boundaries. And that's like what we were talking about before with these messages young girls are picking up from anime and hentai and, and pornography. At what point do we stop shaming kids for not wanting physical affection? Well, they should never be shamed for that. Ask for permission. And if they don't want to, then that's the boundary. Right. And it's even okay to say, no, Dad, I don't want to give you a kiss. I'm not comfortable with that. Very good message. We've been rapidly approaching 22 minutes. What is the final message that you would like to share with the audience? All kids need to be talked to. All kids need to know that their sexuality is not something to be ashamed of. And that they matter enough that you can have those conversations. And it can be uncomfortable. And it's really important that our kids know they have a safe place to go. Because I promise you, if we as parents do not provide a safe place and grandparents, they will find somewhere else to get their information. And it will probably not be messages we want them hearing. Yep, I agree with that 100%. One last thing. Do you have a website? Yeah, we do. So it's the Women United Recovery Coalition website, and it's actually our initials, W-U-R-C, together, so worktogether.org. Wonderful. And you can also go to our website, lifein22minutes.com, and I will have all the links and information in the show notes under Lacey Bentley. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us, and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love.